Continuing our study of the book of Acts, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 8 again. And um, how many have been here the last couple of weeks? All right, good amount, good amount. Uh, So you'll know a little bit of the context of what's going on. How the church was just kind of stuck in Jerusalem until uh, Stephen was put on trial for preaching the gospel and for challenging um, some of the traditional beliefs. And Stephen eventually lost his life. But before he died, he preached a whammy of a sermon. And one of the guys that heard it was a man named Saul. Saul later became the Apostle Paul. But before that, Saul was about the closest thing the Christians knew to a terrorist. Saul got very angry when he heard Stephen's message. The reason he was so angry was not just because he disagreed. The reason he was so angry was because the moment that Stephen preached that message, the Holy Spirit began to poke Saul. And when the Holy Spirit began poking Saul, Saul began kicking against the Holy Spirit by persecuting the church. When he persecuted the church, the church that was in Jerusalem scattered to all different parts of the empire. One of those men that was scattered was a guy that was a deacon just like Stephen. He was one of the seven that was picked to make sure that everybody was fed fairly, that the widows were being taken care of. He was not an apostle. He was not uh, somebody with a fancy title. He was just somebody who was doing a good work for the Lord. But when they were scattered, he went up to Samaria. Now the scripture says he went down to Samaria, but that doesn't mean south. That means because Jerusalem's on a hill. Everywhere you go is down, okay? So he's not saying down as in south on a map because that's not really the way they thought anyways. So when it says he went down to Samaria, it's talking about the fact that he went down the hill, down the mountain, and he went down to where Samaria was. Samaria was a city in ancient Israel, but Samaria also became a province and a, a region. And so when it says he went to the city in Samaria, he probably didn't go to the city of Samaria itself because that really wasn't the base, but he probably was going to one of the main cities in Samaria. He went there, and of course, you've, if you've been with us, you know that uh, God did some really amazing miracles, and there was awesome things happening. A lot of people were becoming saved and baptized, and, and when the apostles came along, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So there was a great work going on in this region. And we're about to read a really cool story, and some of you have heard uh, us talk about this before, and I hope you're willing to hear it again. That's one of the joys of going through the whole book, is you, you hear stuff you've already heard every now and then, but that's a good thing. So if you've heard some of this stuff before, you'll be able to amen all the louder because you already know it, right? So as we read this, this is one of my favorite stories because I, I've changed how I viewed this story. Now when I say story, I don't want you to think I'm telling you a tale, I don't want you to think this is, some, this is some nursery rhyme or some fairy tale that somebody made up. This is a history. In fact, the man that wrote the book of Acts, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was a man named Luke. And Luke treated it like a professional historian. Luke was a, a doctor, and when he went through this, he gathered eyewitness accounts, multiple eyewitness accounts. He cross-referenced them. So when you're reading this, you're reading a history of what happened in the early church. And it's really cool to read it. So here's what happens when Philip is in Samaria and the apostles, Peter and John, have come down and and they begin to preach the gospel and some good things have happened. But as they come down, they, they preach in the city where Philip is and then they go up and here's what it says in Acts chapter 8. 
and verse 25 says, So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem, and they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. I really wish I had brought a map tonight. I should have brought a map. It's not easy finding an ancient map of, of this time period with these particular cities on it. But let's just tr- draw it out in our mind, okay? So you got Jerusalem. Can everybody see Jerusalem in your imagination? You, ha- you haven't seen some kid shows in a while, but this is what you have to do. All right, so you've got Jerusalem. It's right along the coast here, okay? You've got the Mediterranean Sea. You've got Jerusalem. It's on the coast here. And then uh, we're going to go north up to the region of Samaria. Here's Caesarea. It's right up here. Can you see Caesarea? Isn't it beautiful? (laughs) All right. So what you're going to do is you're going to picture those apostles going up from Jerusalem, going down the hill, but up on the map, all right? And they head up to the region of Samaria. They get there. They do some good things. And then they go north because there's more villages in Samaria. Here's the cool thing. Before this, it hadn't occurred to anybody to preach in Samaria, Jesus, some of the last words he said was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both here in Jerusalem, in the province of Judea, in Samaria, and then the ends of the world. But nobody had thought to go to Samaria. They just said, well, we're happy with Jerusalem. Until the church was scattered by persecution, then finally somebody goes to Samaria. When the apostles hear about what God's doing in Samaria, they all of a sudden realize, wait a minute, Samaritans can be born again. Hadn't occurred to us. That's a big deal. So this whole region is opened up to them. You see, they weren't preaching in villages of Samaritans before. But when they see God's hand moving... They go, a whole new group of people just opened up. I believe that God even does this today. Groups of people, clusters of people open up to the gospel. I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen this in ministry where, where God will use one person and they just open up a whole region or they open up a whole group of people. You might be that person. You might know that person. God uses one person and they're the door to so many other people. And so here's what happens. That, that door has opened, and now they go, hey, we should preach to more people from Samaria. Now, I don't know if you heard me talk a couple weeks ago, but some, the Samaritans were like the cult. Nobody really wanted to be around these guys. The Jews didn't like them, and they didn't like the Jews. So now they're saying, oh, wait a minute, we should preach to these guys. So the apostles go north to some of the other villages in Samaria. Meanwhile, young Philip, he finds himself in a situation where the Lord speaks to him. And the angel of the Lord told him to get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, so we saw Jerusalem. You still see that, right? So there's Jerusalem. Gaza's down here. There's a little place called Azotus here. Jerusalem, he's going to go all the way, Jerusalem to Gaza. That's like a 50-mile road. He's just supposed to go there. There's no GPS. God didn't say, I'm sending, I'm sending a pen on your iPhone. I will, I'll forward you the map. He just says, go to that road. What does he say about this road? The angel, you know, the angel tells him, go to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, if the Lord told you to go to that road and didn't tell you where on the road to go, you better start w- walking from the beginning and just keep walking until something happens, right? 
Notice what it says in the brackets. This is a desert road. Now, there's water in this area, so it doesn't mean desert as if there's no water, but it means deserted. This is a wilderness road. This is an area where not a lot of people are going. So there's, there's not, a lot of, not a lot of roadside attractions. There's not a, pl- a lot of places to eat. This is a place you might be alone. There might be some bandits on the road. I don't know. But start walking on the road. What's about to happen is Philip is about to have one of the most amazing evangelism experiences I've ever seen. And when I was a teenager, I used to say, God, why'd you make it so easy for Philip? Why would you make it so easy for him? Because you're going to see how he walks up and God just sets up the situation so perfectly. Everything just falls into place. And I'm like, why don't you do that for me? I feel like i got to work more. Until I read it again and realized that there's several points where God just says, start walking down a road. In the hot Middle Eastern heat. On a road where normal people are not traveling in the middle of the day. And just start walking. You might walk for 50 miles. God doesn't tell him how long he's going to walk. He's just going to start walking. Let's see what happens. So he walks. And it says he got up and went. And that's a good result, huh? The angel said, get up and go. He went up and went. He didn't say, well, first I got some things to do. Can I pack my, I got to pack, I got to do laundry. He just gets up and goes. This would be be one of the best lessons we could learn is that when the Lord speaks, you don't wait. You don't give excuses. You just go. Just go. Don't don't, don't fiddle around saying, well, what about this? What about that? And and sometimes you don't have to wait until you've got all the answers. Sometimes some of us would love to have every single, you know, I want the trip laid out. God, I will wait until I fully know everything about this trip. Sometimes all the Lord tells you is get up and go. That's what he told Abraham. Get up and go, and I'll show you. As you walk the road, I'll tell you where to go, but right now you just start walking. Well, that's not fun when your coworkers ask you what you're doing. It's not fun when your family asks you, like, so what are you doing for the next five years? Now, I'm not preaching this message so you all quit your job and start wandering the prairies. (laughs) Because it's got to be God, doesn't it? God's not telling you to, you know, be a deadbeat. But no matter what the Lord tells you to do, no matter what he leads you to do, you're not going to know everything setting out as much as that's what we'd like to have. We want to control it. My friends and family know me well that when we go on a trip, three months out, I know every rest stop on the way. I know every Panera Bread and Starbucks. I know everything. Tim Horton's in Canada, but when we're in the States... You know, once you go past those first northern states, there's not a Tim Hortons. I'm just trying to get on everybody's good side here. I want you to know I'm Canadian. Don't worry. But I know where all the stops are. I know, I, I mean, I've got schedules. I've got tickets. I know, I've got, I know where the hotels are. I've got it planned out. And the reason is, it's not because I'm freaking out about the future, but I feel like I get to be involved in the trip ahead of time. It feels like my vacation just got extended by three months if I get to start three months early. So I bug them and I say, come over here to the computer. Come over to the computer. What do you want to do? And they're like, I don't know. It's like three months away. Well, what about this? And I'm on Google Street View. I'm like, here's the path that we're going to take to the gas station. Isn't this exciting? No, it's not really exciting. And I remember my dad used to do the exact same thing to me. And Liberty and I hated it. We'd sit at the table going, Dad, can we just go to bed? It's midnight. And he had all these maps out and atlases. 
Which national parks are we going to hit, kids? I don't know. I don't care. We'll figure it out. So for me, those moments where God just says, start walking, are not exactly my favorite. I want to know, start walking where? And, and talk to whom? And what's going to happen there? And then you feel good when people ask you. When you graduate high school, as many of you have, when you graduate high school, you get a bunch of annoying people that want to know your 10-year plan, your 5-year plan. You know, half the time, you try to give them the nicest answer because they're, they're really trying to be helpful. But sometimes you just say, you know, sometimes the truth is, I know what I'm going to do for the next two years. I know what the Lord's told me to do on the next step, but I don't know the rest of my life. James said, don't even say this is what I'm doing tomorrow, for you don't know what tomorrow holds. Philip had to decide that he trusted God more than he trusted his own ability to control the situation. Abraham, Abraham had to know, or Abram at the time, he had to be more confident with whom he knew than with what he knew. And um, I think that's a big deal, saying, I trust the one that's talking to me. I trust the one that sent me more than I trust my own lack of information or, or the opposite of that. Look what he says here. It says, he got up and went, verse 27, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Kandiki, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He's, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And let's just stop there for a minute. This is what the Holy Spirit says. This guy, first of all, is an Ethiopian eunuch, all right? So if he's a eunuch, that can mean some things. That might just mean he's a servant in the court. Most likely in Bible times, often if you use the word eunuch, that means that's somebody that's in the personal palaces of the king and who's been dramatically altered so he's not a threat to the king. If you don't know how he's been dramatically altered, you go and ask your mommy. <laughs> but either way, you might know this, but in the Jewish ritual law of the law of Moses, a man who'd been altered in that way was unclean for a, a good proper Jew. Even if that's not the case with this guy, there's some other things that might have kept Philip from running up to this guy. Number one, you don't see Ethiopians every day. In, in, in ancient literature and even in the Bible, down in Ethiopia, the Bible calls it Cush at times. That's considered like the end of the world. These folks look different. This is the first recorded, this is the first recorded uh, black person that we see get born again. Now, there might have been somebody on the day of Pentecost. This is the first rec recorded one, which is not a big deal to us right now. But to Philip at the time, that might have been a weird thing. Not that he didn't like him, but just that he thought, well, who, who's, why is this guy going to listen to me? We're different. He probably speaks a different language. He's obviously way richer than I am. He's, he's in a nice chariot. This guy is in charge of the treasure of the queen of Ethiopia. Don't you think he's driving a Cadillac of chariots? He's in a nice ride. He's probably got some guards with him. He's probably got some of that treasure with him. 
Now, before you just think, oh, Philip had it nice. The Lord told him to go run up. He did. He asked the right questions. Think about this. How likely are you to run up and knock on the window of a limo that you see and witness to somebody about the gospel? Now, you all say yes now, and, and that's wonderful. I don't know if I'd be that bold all the time. I'd like to believe I would. Philip obeyed the Spirit of the Lord. Now, you know, the first time God spoke to me, he used an angel. The second time, it was through the Spirit. Wouldn't we all love just to see an angel every time? Then we know we heard from God. Do you know how the Spirit spoke to Philip? The Spirit spoke to Philip the same way he spoke to Jesus, the same way he speaks to you. He spoke to Philip through his Holy Spirit to the Spirit of Philip. So he spoke to his little, uh, Philip felt it right here. He knew what the Lord was saying. But I bet there's part of Philip that would have said, was that just me? <laughs> and the question I always ask myself when I ask myself that dumb question, was this God or was this me? Is I ask myself, how often, if I didn't know Jesus, how often would I just be randomly going up to people in the mall and saying, can I pray for you? You know, when you go up to somebody and you see somebody in Bud Miller Park and the Lord says, I want you to go up right there and tell them about my love. I want you to preach the gospel to them. And you go, I don't know if that was me or if that was God. Well, we can rule out the devil because I'm pretty sure the devil doesn't want you witnessing in Bud Miller Park. That's not his big goal in life. Now, so if the question is whether it was your idea or was it God's idea, number one, what's the downside, right? Secondly, before you got born again, were you just randomly going up to people and telling them about Jesus? Was this a thing you did? Was this something you want to do? Most of us do not want to do that kind of stuff. Most of us do not like going up to strangers. Most of us don't like to go interrupting people. Most of us don't want to go knock on a car window and talk to somebody. If you're one of those kind of people, bravo. But for me, I'm not going to, without Jesus, I wouldn't be randomly going up to cars and going, hey, what you guys doing? <laughs> One of the strangest experiences for me was when we were at David Thompson Resort. I don't know if you know where that is. Over, kind of by Rocky Mountain House. It's over, uh, you know, in the Rockies. And, and it was one of my favorite places to go as a kid. When I go as an adult, I have no idea why I liked it so much, but I did. I think it was the slide. And we would go there, and at the top of a <laughs> I was so excited to play at this playground, I missed it. And we are going to go horseback riding the next day. I was so excited. And all of a sudden, this kid from the top of the slide says, hey. I looked up. He goes, want to be friends? And I just thought, who says that? Who says that? And you know what? He didn't say want to be friends. He said something even weirder. He said, want to make friends? And I just thought, what an odd thing to say. Like, break the ice somehow. But he did it. I was kind of proud of him. And you don't say no at that point. You just kind of go along with it. Well, I, I, I thought, I want that kind of boldness for Jesus. But to be honest, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. So when the question comes, was that me or was that God? I would say, if you're, if you're feeling in your heart to go pray for somebody, go witness to somebody, it's probably not just something you want to do. And you can judge it by the fact that you feel those butterflies in your stomach. And it's not you that wants to do that. You're being obedient to God. Philip's got to go up, somebody, go up to somebody who's already in a chariot, somebody who's a different, a radically different culture than him, 
somebody who's not Jewish, somebody who might be unclean according to Jewish law, somebody who's way richer than him of a different class, and somebody he's got to run up to. These are a lot of reasons not to do this. But the one thing Philip knows is that God told him to, so he does. He runs up. He doesn't walk. He runs. And he joins the chariot, and he says, he notices this guy's reading something. He says, what are you reading? And the man answers him, and he said, well, no, Philip, sorry, I, I read that wrong. Philip ran up, and he heard him reading Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? This is the part that I'd read as a teenager and go, why was that so easy for him? Sure, I'd get tons of people. I'd win tons of people to Jesus if people were just already reading the Bible. And you walk up to them and go, do you know what you're reading? Well, I wish I had someone to explain it to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, left and right, I'd be bringing people to church. I'd get, get people born again all over the place. God, why'd you make it so easy for him? But then you forget he had to start walking down a desert road first. Then he had to go run up and catch a chariot because the Lord told him to. See, for all these times where God sets you up, there's a point of obedience and uncomfortability. If you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you are not able to be used. Being used by God, if God has to speak to us, it, it goes without saying that he's telling us to do stuff we weren't already doing or else he wouldn't have to say anything, right? If you were already doing it, he probably wouldn't have to tell you anything about it. The fact that he had to speak to you is proof you were going to do something else. So when he has to speak to us, it's almost always against our nature. It's almost always something's a little uncomfortable. It's always something that pushes us to the edge of what we're comfortable doing or saying or being. The Bible says the fear of people is a snare. And I'll tell you, one of the traps that that is really laid out for us as believers is not that someday you're just going to be so drawn to a Satanist cult that you're going to go put on a hooded robe and light a candle and dance around a fire. That's really not a threat for most of you, is it? But one of the traps laid out for you is that you would be ineffective in your walk with God because you're afraid of what people think of you. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. It doesn't mean you're... Um, you know, you're useless, but it does mean that you'll be ineffective. You won't bear the fruit that you're meant to bear because you're afraid of people. But we all know what it's like to feel that. I, I, I find it so funny. Every believer I talk, almost every believer I talk to says, you don't understand, I'm shy. And it's funny that they think, they, you always think you're the only one. Turns out everybody feels that way in different areas. But the fear of man is a snare. Galatians says, Paul says in Galatians, he says, if we were trying to please people, we could not be bondservants of Jesus. You can't make it your desire to please people and to please God at the same time. You've got to pick who would you rather please. Who am I trying to impress? Who would I rather have a, a good opinion of me? God or these folks? It doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. But it does mean that you put God first. You put him first. And then you let the chips fall where they may. You walk in love towards all people. Yet the Bible says if it's possible on your end, be at peace with everybody. But at the same time, fear him more than you fear people. And when I say fear him, 
That's the godly kind of fear. That's that reverence. That's that awe. That doesn't mean that you're afraid he's going to smack you every moment of the day. It means that you say, I'd rather please you than, I, than please anybody else. Listen to what he says here. He says, how could I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? Can anybody tell me where that's from? Isaiah, does anybody know the chapter? It's 53. Some of you just were so, you knew it, but you didn't want to say it out loud, right? But here, okay, here's an easier question. Can somebody tell me who that scripture is talking about? That's talking about Jesus, isn't it? So how, how smoothly did God set this up? This guy is reading about Jesus. Where is he coming from? Now, he's originally from Ethiopia, but he's going back home from Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem with questions, and he's still leaving with questions. He didn't find his answers, but God knew where he was. God was not going to let this man go home. Look at all the trouble Philip had to go to. He's way up in Samaria. He has got to go back to Jerusalem and start walking down a desert road for God knows how long to catch this guy. That's how much God loved that man. And he had questions and God had answers. Jesus said, he who seeks will find. If you knock and knock, the door will be open to you. If you ask, you will receive. So I'm going to tell you, and I believe this with all of my heart, that people that are seeking, really seeking God, God will send people to answer some of those questions. God will meet them where they are. God always finds the seekers. And we should be looking for them too. Just know this. God's primary method. God used an angel to get to this man. But God didn't preach to him with an angel. God used the angel to send a person. And God used a person to preach to this man. We think if somebody's if, if somebody seeking God, that God will show up in their grilled cheese or God will show up on their wall. But the truth is, God wants to use you. And there's people with questions and you have the answer. You might not have all the answers, but you have the answer, which is Jesus. Jesus is the source of truth. You might know, not know all the truth in the world, but you know that he is the truth. So all truth is hidden within him. There's no truth outside of him. If you know Jesus, you've got enough to go on. Doesn't mean you stop learning. Doesn't mean you stop growing, but you've got enough to share with somebody if you know Jesus. Here's what it says. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Oh, wow. Isn't that perfect? He's asking who Jesus is and he doesn't even know. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. You see this a couple times in the book of Acts. You see it when Peter was preaching to Cornelius and his group. You see the term, the phrase, opened his mouth. Which is weird because Philip was already talking. Same thing happened to Peter when he's preaching to Cornelius. He's already talking to Cornelius. God sent him there. And then it all of a sudden says, and Peter opened his mouth and began to speak. Here's what I believe about this. I believe it's at this point that God gave these men the words to say at the right time. 
They opened their mouth and God filled them with the right words because that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. In the right hour, in that hour, I will give you the exact words to say. Your job is to be obedient to God. Your job is to follow the leading of his voice. His job, what he will do is give you the words at the right time. Jesus said, I'll give you wisdom that they can't even argue with. Jesus said, it won't be your words, it'll be the Father's words. Philip opens his mouth, and from the beginning of Scripture, he begins to preach Jesus to him. Isn't that awesome? Did you know that this man does not have a copy of the New Testament in his hands? Because the New Testament does not exist. He has the Old Testament. He has the law and the prophets. And Jesus is all through the law and the prophets. He's all through the Old Testament. Thank God for the New Testament. Thank God for the Gospels. Thank God for the, the letters written to the church. But did you know Jesus is all, even all through the Old Testament? Philip began to show him the prophets have been talking about this for centuries. God has been, been preparing us for centuries for the Messiah to come. The man believes and he looks and he says, as he went along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water. <laughs> What prevents me from being baptized? Once again, how easy does this look at this point, right? This guy is just, this guy's on autopilot. Somebody tell me what this scripture means. Is this guy talking about himself or somebody else? Could be the Messiah. Hey, there's water. What's to stop me from being baptized? I mean, I would love for every experience to be like this. Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Man answers and says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities, until he came to Caesarea. Now, here, this is an amazing thing. Isn't that amazing? We only see this, well, really, in the book of Acts, we only see this once. Philip just gets snatched away. He's there one moment, and the next minute, he's gone. The next second, he's gone. And he finds himself at his own. I wonder how long it took him to figure out where he was. He just shows up like Mr. Bean, you know, and all of a sudden, he's there. And he's at Azotus. Now, once again, when I'd read this as a young person, I'd be like, God, why don't you do that for me? Man, that'd make life so much easier. Just zoom, transported, boom, boom, boom. I don't have to drive to Loon Lake. Boom, I'm there. The only thing is, when you read this, you all of a sudden realize God's not making anything more convenient for Philip. It wasn't like, hey, Phil, thanks for doing me a favor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transport you at light speed, faster than light. I'm going to place you in a new place. It's going to be quicker than you walking. You did me a favor. I'm doing you a solid. No, Philip finds himself at Azotus. He's got no reason to be at Azotus. He wants to be at Caesarea. So he just goes, okay, and starts preaching in every village on the way. 60 miles, guys. So not, every move, not every miracle or sign of wonder is for convenience sake. In fact, pretty much none of them are. It's for the glory of God. And in this case, God had some villages picked out that he wanted Philip to preach in. And time was of the essence. Philip shows up, and Philip does what we should all do. He goes, all right. 
I don't know how long he spent talking to God, like, what's the deal? But he just finds himself there and he goes, okay, all right, I'm going to start walking. Once he found out where he was, I'm going to start walking to Caesarea, but I'm not just going to go to Caesarea. Every little village I hit on the way, I'm telling them about Jesus. Now, that's the guy I'd like to imitate. So when I was young, just to sum up, when I was young, I read this story too fast. Maybe I read it in the picture Bible. I don't remember. But to me, the two things that stood out in this story was how easy it was to talk to this Ethiopian guy and lead him to Jesus and how easy it was to get where he wasn't, just be transported. What I see now is there was a lot of blind obedience. There was a lot of walking when you didn't know where you're going. There's a lot of preaching when you don't know who you're preaching to. There's a lot of times he had to overcome his own insecurities and just obey God. And God used that man mightily, not because he was something special, but because he was willing. Philip was not an apostle. I've told you this before, but it's not until like Acts 19 that somebody calls him Philip the Evangelist. Many of us will wait till somebody calls us an evangelist before we start evangelizing. Philip started evangelizing so much that they called him Philip the Evangelist. We can't sit around waiting for titles to tell us who we are. We need to obey the Lord. And that starts right where you are. For Philip, one guy. God did this for one guy. There's people in your life, one person, that you might not think are a big deal, but they're a big deal to God. What, what God wants from you is just your obedience. He'll do all the other stuff. Look, the Holy Spirit prepared this guy to be preached to. God gave Philip the words to say at the right time. The Lord put Philip where he needed to be, right when he needed to be there. God took care of all those details. Philip's job was to obey the Lord, be bold, and just do what God told him to do. Can you do that? That was tepid at best. Can you do that? All right, well, you're still, still hesitant, but that's okay. That means you're thinking about it. Some of you are going like, I don't know what you're going to ask me to do right now. Don't worry. But I'd like us to all get to a place of trust where we trust the Holy Spirit and we trust God. Do you know what? Let your, let your automatic setting be preach the gospel to everybody that God opens the door to preach the gospel to. It's never a bad idea to preach the gospel. But I'm going to tell you something else. The Holy Spirit will open doors for you. And you'll know when they're open. You know, hammering somebody, hammering and hammering them and hammering them. And going, I just don't know why they get it. I'm going to hammer them some more. Sometimes it's not the most effective way. But if you'll be obedient to God and you'll pray, you'll be amazed at what God can do to prepare somebody and to open the door at the right time. You'll be amazed at the questions they ask you. That's the amazing. When I was a little kid, I was dumb enough to pray this prayer every day. I said, I, don't, I realize it's not dumb anymore, but at the time I thought I was dumb. I don't know why I keep doing this. But I would pray, Lord, give me opportunities. I wasn't an outgoing kid. But I kept praying, God, give me opportunities today. And you know what God kept doing? He kept giving me opportunities. <laughs> and I just wanted to go to school. There was this war between the part of me that wanted to, to serve the Lord and the part of me that just wanted to survive. And so I prayed at the beginning of the day, Lord, give me opportunities. And I have kids come up to me in school who would ask me questions that I couldn't answer without talking about Jesus. 
I remember this one kid, you know, I mean, it was like, I remember just trying to keep my head down. There's certain years of your life that you're just trying to keep your head down. It's the law of the jungle. You're going to get killed or be killed. You just want to survive this year. And I remember just saying, okay, I just want to fit in. I just want to do well. And I remember God would send the worst kids to ask the worst questions. And I remember one that gave me trouble. I mean, this guy, you know, I didn't want to be seen with this guy. I didn't want to be his friend. But I knew I was supposed to, and I knew I was supposed to love him, and I didn't want to. And, and, then, and then he comes up to me and goes, man, my leg's hurting. Hey, would you pray for me? And I thought, I didn't offer. You know, I didn't say, did I tell you something? Somehow this guy found out that I know a God that heals people. So I did. His leg was healed instantly right there in the classroom. So this guy all of a sudden becomes like the Urkel that just shows up at your house all the time. <laughs> we actually had another family from the church that lived in his neighborhood, and they bore the brunt of his just showing up at random times. That guy didn't have much of a home life, but he found Jesus. Jesus found him. It was amazing that when you just ask God, Lord, put those opportunities in front of me, he will. And if you're obedient, he'll guide you through the process. Some of you are new at this, and you just go, oh, man, I just, uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Can you trust God to guide you through that, to be your guide? The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. That's his job. He will lead you, and he will guide you. If you will trust the Holy Spirit, you're going to see him do great and mighty things through your life. You put the weight on God, and you be obedient. Watch what happens. Amen? Let's stand up together. Father, here's what we're going to do. I want any of you that right now you, you hear and you're, you're saying to, to yourself, you're saying to God, okay, I want to do that. I, I'm not sure where to start, but I want to. We're going to make a commitment to God right here and right now. And I want this to be a date you remember, May 29th. I want you to remember this day. I want you to remember that you made this decision this day. We're going to commit to the Lord that we will simply ask for him to open doors and that we'll be obedient to walk through them when we see them. That's all I'm asking you tonight. Now, that's a big deal because you're going to have an opportunity sooner than you think, and you'll have an opportunity to say no. And your instinct is to say no. But your spiritual instinct is to say yes to the Lord. So if that's you, we're just going to pray together, and I want you to commit to the Lord tonight. That you're not going to chicken out. Now, if you chicken out the first time, you get up and you go back. I've chickened out. I'll tell you, I don't, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I have chickened out before. And I beat myself up for hours, even days, at missed opportunities. And the devil would like to use that to keep you from ever trying again. He'll just beat you up, kick while you're down. You know what you do? You miss an opportunity, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that again. Give me strength, give me courage to never, ever miss that opportunity again. I'll tell you a quick story if I can. I was in the Philippines with Matthew, my brother-in-law. He was, wasn't my brother-in-law at the time. We were out on a dock, and there was a guy from Florida that came up and talked to us. 
And this man so desperately needed Jesus. It was everything he said about his life was just like, there's a guy that needs Jesus. We were waiting on him to say something like, why are you guys here? Because we were like the only three white people in the village at the time. And that was going to be our open door. And both of us were looking at each other. And sometimes when you have a friend, it's a help. And sometimes it's a hindrance because you were just waiting for the other person to do something. And all of a sudden, this guy goes, whoa, hey, there's my ride. I got to go. And we missed that opportunity. And we just were so beaten down. And we're just saying, oh, man. We both went back to the hotel room and we said, man, that guy needed Jesus. Oh, I can't believe we missed it. We made up our minds that day that we weren't going to beat ourselves up for the rest of the night. That night, we had an opportunity to preach the gospel. And we said, you know what? We're going to make the devil pay twice as much for this. And we are going to use this as fuel. This is going to fuel us on. We're going to use this as fuel. We're, we're going to make this the thing we remember next time we have an opportunity and say, I don't want to feel that again. I don't want to feel, the, I don't want to feel that feeling of missed, missed opportunity, miss that feeling of, of not obeying the will of God, the voice of God. That night, hundreds of people came to Jesus, and we were so excited, but it fueled us on. So if, you, if you've missed those opportunities, even if in the future you do, use it as fuel for the next time that you say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to say yes to the Lord. So what we're going to do is let's bow our heads. And for those of you that are in that boat where you want to start tonight, you want to start saying, okay, God, give me some opportunities, and I, I'm going I'm to make my commitment to you right now, Lord. I'm going to make my commitment tonight that I'm going to say yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey. I'm going to walk through the door that you open. Then I want you to pray this with me. Father God, I thank you that you have placed an open door in front of me. I'm your servant. I'm your child. I have your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive me for the times I've said no. I know I'm already forgiven. But I'm excited about the next time. Open doors. Give me opportunities. And I commit to you tonight that I will say yes. And I will trust you. And you'll give me the words to say at the right time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Lord, anoint these people who have made that commitment right now, that your spirit would be, oh, just strengthening them in every area, that they would not just go in their own strength, but in the power of God, and they would see the life of God working through them. They'd see, they'd see your spirit working in ways that even surprises them. Lord, that they wouldn't wander from the left or the right. They wouldn't float from place to place just because they're not anchored, but instead they would be anchored to you and anchored into your word. That they'd know the difference between your voice and their imagination. They'd know the difference between your voice and the voice of a stranger. And they'd follow that voice in Jesus' name. Give us the guts, the courage, and the faith to walk down a desert road because you told us to go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Carrie, you had a prayer request? Can you share that with us? I don't know what it is, so I'm going to be surprised as everybody else. It's on my Facebook. Okay. Um, just, just minutes before we left the house tonight, um, a friend of mine uh, messaged me. 
Um, um, her 11-month-old grandson was just uh, diagnosed just a couple hours before she messaged me with a rare eye cancer. Um, and while this little guy was in his mother's womb, his daddy was killed in an accident. And there's another little two or three-year-old guy. Um, they said it's highly curable and that they want them to fly from Calgary tomorrow morning to Toronto and, um, and they would remove it. Uh, so two things. Um, she just said, we want a miracle tonight. And the other is uh, finances to get there for her to go with the mama and the little guy. Um, so yeah, just, I just told her, you know what, there's going to be a great testimony to even those doctors in Toronto. I believe deep in my heart, just as she said, that there will be a miracle tonight. So Father God, we lift this young child to you. Lord, we know that, oh man, just like Jesus said about the man born blind, that it was not because anybody sinned, but it would be that the end result would be that God would be given glory. Lord, we know this isn't from you. You, don't, you do not put sickness on, this, on these babies, but we know that it's the product of a curse. It's a cursed world, yet you are the healer, and you will be glorified in this situation. And so, Lord, as you, as you move by the Spirit miraculously, God, even, even as the doctors are used by you, I pray, Lord, that there would be a miracle taking place in this young man's body, this little boy's body right now in Jesus' name, that his eye would be made whole. And, Lord, that you would provide for their every need because you are their father, that you are their provider, that no need goes unmet. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this situation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise God. Well, if you, if the Lord puts it on your heart to put some money in Carrie's hand to pass on to a friend, do you have any contact with that friend? Like physical? You've got a means, okay? You could do that, no pressure, but if you want to do that, know that the, the opportunity is there. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Uh, so excited to see you on Sunday and any other time we might run into you. It's great. So God bless you. Have a great night.